we have been in a message series called With Us for the last few weeks, and I've heard from a few of you that this has been a, a good series for you, a reminder for some of us of uh, God's, God's just desire for us, uh, for some a realignment of their souls, and we're grateful for that. In Genesis, we're reminded God walked with Adam and Eve prior to Adam and Eve's disobedience. We know this because we read in, in Genesis chapter 3 that he was looking for them when they were out hi- hiding, right? And it makes you kind of wonder. It makes me wonder, ah, what, what was that like? What was it like to be with God, he being with us, if you will, in the cool of the evening in the garden. The intimacy that they, Adam and Eve, enjoyed. But the incredible thing about this story and the one that we're on and in in this season is that God could not leave us without his, his intimacy. It wasn't so much that we were seeking uh, for him, that he was seeking after us his deliverance and his promise that he had been giving to us over and over throughout the Old Testament. So this delivered promise, as we've looked at in the first uh, message of the series, is called the incarnation. It really just means this, God became flesh and dwelt among us. God became flesh and dwelt among us. Um, How many of us, you don't have to raise your hand, have given extra thought of, that reality this season. I mean, can you imagine? As some of you know, uh, in our family, we're in great anticipation and expectation for uh, our grandchild in the flesh. Uh, the, the child's in the flesh now, but not where we can put our hands on. Oh, it changes things, doesn't it? For those of us who have been parents or grandparents or aunts and uncles, we realize the the intimacy, the the closeness, the with us. And this is what makes Christmas Christmas. It's not the tree. You you do know that, right? It's not the poinsettias. It's not the gift that you're going to get or you desire to get under the tree. It just simply is not. It's not even these candles of which we're grateful to be able to celebrate the Advent and walk through it. It's not the Christmas carols. Well, the Christmas carols proclaim it. It's not. It's Jesus in the flesh. And I'm not here to put a kibosh on parties and celebrations and all of those good things that we have, but it is truly, Christmas is about the incarnation. It's about Jesus coming to us. This is why uh, we have been talking about with us. He is with us. Now, with, along, alongside, amidst, among, beside, by, for, and near. I mean, we hunger for it in ways that are distorted and twisted in our world. In fact, we go seeking for it. I think uh, in one of my devotionals this week, I even had the question of how many times have you filled the space, you filled your time with some distraction because you're, you're just a little unnerved by the silence that you get. 
and that desire to fill it with watching something, listening something, or even doing something is kind of a derivative of our desire and need for Jesus himself to be in the flesh, to, to give us identity, to give us uh, the, the sense of who we are and where we believe, or what we believe. So that's why over the last few weeks we have been uh, focusing around this verse in Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. Can you read it again with me? Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Wow. I love how the angel says to Joseph, look. While he's contained in a dream in the moment, he says, look, look. Uh, I, I think that is something that is tangible. He's pointing to something that will transpire, that a promise will be given. Uh, these words are so vastly important. So what we've been discovering over these last few weeks is that God is with us, not only in the good times, the mountaintops, but in all seasons of our life. No matter what is transpiring, right? I mean, God's with us on the mountaintops, but we get to know him intimately in the wilderness, right? I mean, it's so, so important. And this is, this is why it's important, is that we often, we find ourselves in wilderness, and we're going to talk about storms today. We're going to talk, we talked about valleys, it is in those places and spaces that we generally abandon Jesus. We abandon what we know to be true to what we feel to be right. Caution, warning signs. There, there it is. So last week we talked about the wilderness. We found this, that God often, through 1 Kings 19, God often whispers in the wilderness He doesn't yell, he doesn't do big things, he whispers in the wilderness, and that this is true, that our deepest needs become a gift when they drive us to depend upon God. Uh, How many have found that to be true this week? How many have found that your deepest need was a gift to you? Or was it just the just the opposite this week? You went, ah, why did this happen? Did it have you taking you to your knees and asking God, how are you going to help me? Where are you going to show up? You see, it is a gift. And we need to reframe our minds, reframe our hearts, reframe our souls to those places of valleys, wilderness, and today storms. That they're gifts. They're not bad. They're opportunities. They're challenges, no doubt. But they drive us to him. So God is in the storms. Difficult times blow out of nowhere sometimes, don't they? Uh, we, it has been said we're either in a storm or coming out of a storm, right? We're either in a storm or we're coming out of a storm. Did you know that? Uh, if you haven't figured it out, Think about this last week, and the storms don't have to be really long. Some of them are, but you're coming out or you're going in, right? It's kind of encouraging word, isn't it? 
Okay, I'm kidding about that. But where is God with you in the midst of a storm? That's the question. Where is God with you? Some of you, unfortunately, are potentially in a storm right now. You might call it by different names, like names that we know storms are called by. Storm divorce. You're still processing that. Storm depression. Uh, Storm financial. Storm relational. Uh, For many of us, as we've come to find out this morning, it's storm illness, right? It's storm recovery. What would you name your storm today? How, what name would you put on it? And please don't put a person's name. It may be true, but it won't get you very far. Whatever the storm may be, you're, you may be in the middle of it, and it may be very, very real, and we just want the storm to go away. But what do you do when you're in the midst of the storm? Uh, unfortunately, uh, as I said, when we're in the midst of a storm, we often and can more often abandon God and abandon his community. Can I put those together? Can I do that? Will you allow me to do that? And the reason why I can do that is that Jesus told us to put them together. And this is where he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love others as you love yourself. He is commending the community of faith as equal, and others, equal to loving him with all his heart. We tend to do that, but we also do this with God when we're in a storm. We blame him for it. Why why are you allowing this, Lord? Why did you bring this on? Right? And that just feeds into this whole other, other just deficit thinking, right? We just think in a bad way. We start to doubt the presence and the personal interaction of God. But what we need to counter with is never let the presence of a storm to cause us to doubt the presence and his personal interaction with us. But we do. We do. So, What's the context of our biblical, where, where's the biblical text today? Matthew chapter two. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Matthew chapter two. We're gonna spend a few moments in that section this morning. Uh, reminder, uh, Matthew chapter 123, G, uh, you know, that Joseph is struggling with this idea that his, his uh, betrothed is pregnant before they've had any uh, intimacies at all. Rightly so. And now we're in chapter two. Right? Uh, Mary and Joseph did not enter into this divine assignment with, with every bow tied and every present wrapped for them, making it as smooth as it can be. They flew into a storm. Can I tell you that? They just flew into a storm. As we read a couple of weeks ago, pledged to be married, Mary comes to Joseph with the good news that brings great joy to all people. Think about this. Hey, Joe, yeah, I'm pregnant by the indwelling and overwhelming Holy Spirit. Oh, great news, right? Great joy. Did the town talk? Oh, I'm sure they did, just like they do here, right? Yep, that's what they do, you know? Baby began to grow, and like, hey, we heard this was the case. Ah, There she is. 
and it began to, that child began to develop and be woven together in Mary's womb. Can you imagine the hype, the intensity? I am still in awe and wonder how the Lord made a path through that potential landmine. I mean, literally, if you were to read what was supposed to happen to couples who were pregnant before they were married, it is crazy in the Old Testament. Uh, I'm not saying crazy wrong. I'm just saying crazy, just wild, right? But somehow the Lord wove them through that storm, that landmine of, of potential dis- people going off, and especially the religious types who were helping. That's what they were there. They were helped to help people into God's obedience. Whether they did it right or wrong, that's what their, their guides were there for, right? This would have been nine months, give or take, of tension-filled living if it were not for God showing up and sharing with the right people at the right time what was transpiring. Think about all of those points of God's divine interaction and intervention. God is into his timing. Let me point it out. His timing. Now yours. Now mine. His timing. The storms of life do not stop for the favored couple. I mean, think about this. We can read this in a couple of different gospels, but both Joseph and Mary were favored by God because they were right with him. You would think, Jesus, if I'm right with you, that means that the storm cease, right? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. They were, she was carrying the divine one. Enter in chapter two, Herod the Great, uh, we, we can call it by name, Storm Herod. Storm Herod! I mean, think about this. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, it starts this way. I'm not going to read all of it on screen, but you have your Bibles open, I'm sure. In Bethlehem and Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Verse 3, on the screen. When Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. Now, we have to just kind of pause here and just ask the question, who is this disturbed king, Herod? Well, some of us know, but let's fill in the blanks. And I'm going to read something from just a small article I picked up this last week, from an online source called Logos. Herod became a paranoid tyrant. Worried that he would lose, lose his kingdom, the fortress he built reflect his paranoia as they provided refuge when he felt threatened. Now, if you want to know more about Herod, Herod built a lot of good, good places. He was a great architect. Josephus, a historian of the day, recorded Herod's execution of his two sons due to rumors of mutiny. Nice dad. You think you have a bad dad? Eh, I don't know. He sent it, it, this is a quote from Josephus in in, uh, Jewish Wars. He also sent his sons uh, to, to Sebast, a city not far from Caesarea, and ordered them to be strangled. And this was the end of Alexander and Aristobulus. Oh my goodness. Uh, Herod, storm blowing in. Mm. You didn't even want to be in his family, I don't think. 
Uh, it continues. Herod married 10 women and fathered 15 children by them. The names of his wives, we not, I'm not going to go through all of them, but it, they were there. Uh, according to Josephus, Herod was so protective of his favorite wife, Miriam I, that he instructed his soldiers to kill her if anything were to happen to him while he was traveling abroad. Herod's motives for marrying the young Hasmonean Jewess were partly to gain approval with the Jews. Love doesn't win out in this, in this context. It's just position and power, favor and position. Along with her beauty, Miriam I is said to have had a temper and a constitution to speak her mind. After Herod, Herod, after Herod had both Miriam I's parents killed, uh, wow, this is crazy, her arguments, uh, her arguments and the wishes of his, of his sister caused him to have her tried and executed. This is his favorite wife. Oh my goodness. After her death, Herod was terribly distraught and became ill. Herod later ordered the execution of his two sons that he had with Miriam I, Alexander, and we talked about that. This is Herod the storm. Back to Herod's question. Uh, Where's Jesus to be born? This king of the Jews of which I am right now, right? That's what's going on. God's word says this in verse 5 and 6. In Bethlehem in Judea, the Magi, now, let's, let's remind ourselves of who these magi are. Are they Jewish believers? No. This is the incredible thing of God's word and the weaving of history into the framework of what's happening. These are people outside of the realm of, of those we would say following God or following Yahweh at the time. They replied, for this is what the prophet has written. They were widely read. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. In another way, you could say this. Herod, if you only knew your history, you would know this already. So he might be a little ticked by that too. Who knows? Verse 7. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child and as soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Uh, Well, friends, we already know that worship is not the same kind of worship that you would understand, nor would I. After they had heard, verse nine, the king, they went on their way and the star they had seen when it rose ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Magi from the east, worshiping the king of all kings. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him, and then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Verse 12. This is really interesting, friends. Think about this. This is the story of our Messiah, our Savior, our Lord. And, at, and having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. They, the Magi, are, are, are in tune with what is transpiring. They may have picked up on a little bit from Herod, but at the same time, they're listening to God. The storms continue to rage. Uh, 
I love it. The Magi are not rushed, nor are they intimidated. They're listening. I think this is a, uh, the nativity story has this wonderful spurs of questions that can be asked every year. Are you listening? Are you listening for God? They chose to go the way of the Lord and the Lord's guidance. So can you imagine through this whole story that Magi are interacting with King Herod, their travels take them through Jerusalem and they meet Herod to inquire, the inquiry sets uh, Herod off and, and from there the reactions that follow are incredible. Uh, storms, friends, it, storms can be brought on by our decisions. Think about that. Uh, storms can be brought, in, brought on by our st- decisions. Uh, they can be brought on by others' decisions too. Storms can be the very part of the realms in which we live between, right? As kingdom dwellers. No matter the storms we're traveling through, this is the point. We can all learn from the storms and help others in this life with their storms. Uh, That's what the community is called to. That's what we're called to be a part. When you recognize that Even though you're in a storm, yet the Lord is by you, there's wonderful opportunity. There's ripe fruit right there. He is with you, strengthening you. It changes how you ride out or walk through the storm. It's all about who's in the boat with you, isn't it? In fact, the New Testament has that powerful story. Maybe some of you remember the disciples being in a different boat in it and in a different storm, not the one we're talking about with Mary and Joseph. What's funny about this one is that Jesus was deep asleep in the boat, and the disciples, in their questioning, they freak out. I mean, maybe in some more contemporary language, they say, basically, this isn't fair. We're going to die, Jesus. Don't you really even care about us? And what does he say to them? He says, why are you so afraid? you of little faith and what he does is something you and I can't do he speaks to the wind and the waves he says peace be still and the experienced peace even in the midst of the boat you see peace is not the absence of a storm friends peace is found in the presence of Jesus this morning in my devotions, I was reminded, and I love these, these very simple and fundamental reminders because we, as humans, continue to get tripped up with it. We tend to like the new and shiny or the thing that we're going to get. We tend to want to place our hope around what is maybe even under the tree in these days, young or old for that matter, not realizing that the temporary joy given in those events and even in experiences fades into a distant memory. Uh, Sometimes because whatever it was breaks or dents, but in part because it becomes a distant memory. It It floats away. But Jesus, his presence with us never never goes away. I will be with you always to the very end of the age. 
Our faith is not in what. Our faith is always who. That's where our faith is found. It's in the who. So real peace isn't, isn't found in trouble-free living or a trouble-free life because none of us will ever have that. Jesus, uh, you know, following Jesus doesn't mean that bad things don't happen. In fact, what's kind of interesting and often what we share even at funerals is this verse in John 16, 33 says, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. It's not about the thing we get, it's about the who we are with. Always, always has been. So absence is in, or uh, peace is not found in the absence of trouble, but real peace is found in the presence of Jesus always, that he is with me, beside me, alongside, nearby. That's why some of you are in a storm right now, and you need to hear this, because it's easy to abandon Jesus. It's easy to abandon the ship. I will say easy in the moment, not in the long run, right? And you can't go down in the storm because of this. Jesus has, God has more for you to do. He's not finished with you. As the saying goes, if you're not dead, you're not done. God has more for you to do, more people for you to love. He's got more opportunities for you to serve, more opportunities to give to you as a blessing. You can't abandon ship. God will use what you learn in the storm to help you prepare others through their storms in life. Did you know that? I mean, this is what God is about. He's about restoring that that presence to you there's a purpose in the storm the storm didn't surprise god it never does but he's doing something in you through you and for someone else i am sure Uh, take this for example we could raise our hands on some of these you've survived cancer so how do you help a fellow follower or a fellow friend endure and walk through cancer with faith. Some of you overcame unfaithfulness in your marriage. You are the prime person to help someone forgive in an unreal and a seemingly difficult situation. Maybe you've climbed out of debt in, in just some grand ways. God has blessed you to be able to do that. You are the right person to set with others to encourage them and to guide them in the process of helping them in that process. Maybe the Lord sobered you up. Drugs and alcohol were a part of your days earlier. It's time for you to tell your story and help other people succeed where they have not been able to because they've not had somebody with them. You see, storms of life are given to us not to keep, but to give. They're a part of the flow of what God desires. You, when you realize this, you start to become an evangelist, not for the thing that he saved you from, 
but for an evangelist through the presence of God with you in the situation. In the middle of the storm, he will never leave you or forsake you because God is always doing something. He's always working things out in you and for you and for his greater good in the kingdom. I don't know how many of you have been through a storm and there are various kinds who would say this, that you know that you, you would never want to go through that again, but you're glad you did because of the deeper intimacy you have with God. You would never trade the storm for the intimacy and the spiritual depth and the knowledge you have about who God is and how he supports you in all of that. When you realize that, then you become like Jesus and are you able to give it away. That's incarnational living. That's when you start to give it away. Back to Joseph, Mary, and Jesus. Remember the storm? They're riding out the storm in their lives. Herod's got a bit of jealousy, just a bit. So Joseph does what he always seems to do when he has an issue. He goes to bed. Take a look. I mean, you know, great place for the Lord to capture our attention and give us direction. Verse 13, when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child and kill him. Ah, the storm, Uh, the storm of her pregnancy, Uh, the storm of now this. Really? You see, faith is not what I see. Faith is in what God says. You could probably put this, faith is not always what I feel either. Faith is in the truth of the word of God. Joseph maybe had these, had, maybe had the thoughts even within his dream, uh, you know, just that they're gonna kill your son, Jesus? I mean, can you imagine? This is the divine one given favored to, to a favored couple and God saying, hey, they're gonna, they're, you know, if you don't move, they may kill Jesus. Are you kidding me? This is your son you sent as a promise. Uh, you know, I think my wife, uh, you know, uh, sang a song about this just a, f- a little while ago. Uh, if you're wondering, it's in Luke chapter 1. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod, and, and so was fulfilled what the law, what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. So they go to Egypt. The storm's not settled And by the way, if you're thinking, this really sounds really familiar, you are exactly right because there's a book called Exodus where the people of Israel, they're in Egypt and they flee out. We'll get to that in a second here. But it's eerily similar. What we know, the storm of Herod happened in Bethlehem as, as it was projected to happen. There were little boys who died from this decree and families bore the weight of Herod's evil actions. Verse 19, after Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream. So they're in Egypt. It doesn't seem to stop. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, get up, take the child and his mother to the land of Israel for those who are trying to take, his, take the child's life are dead. 
And what we do know, if you continue to read, that even going all the way back to where they were going to come from, he had to wait because there was somebody else that was still out to get them. Storms continue to rage in our lives, and if we think they're going to go quiet, they're not. The question is, who's going to be with you in the storm? His presence. Psalm 46 says this, as we consider our next steps. God is our refuge and strength, our ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. Even the psalmist knew that God is our refuge and our strength. Even though everything else around us is falling apart, we find our place, we find our solace in the presence of God. And in those moments, here's what we need. We want safety. We want strength. We want a comforter. We want a source. We want a redeemer. We want a sustainer, a provider, assurance and salvation. We want that, and this is the one who will give it to us, God himself. So never let the presence of a storm cause you to doubt the presence of God. Did you, ever, did you know that bison uh, know something intuitively? Did you know this? Uh, that is a bison, by the way. It's kind of a funky picture, isn't it? That bison will walk into a snowstorm because they know it's the quickest way through the storm. Did you know that? Uh, uh, we tend to kind of d- dodge left or right or realize the storm's coming or the storm's in it. And I think this is part of the story, if you will. That Jesus' presence, God's presence with us, the Holy Spirit's presence with us allows us to stand strong in the midst of the storm and to potentially walk into it because of the strength we know that we have through the Lord. There's a book that I'm reminded of, especially in these days, as I said, we're expe- uh, our family's expecting our first grandchild to be born this month. And uh, we used to read this song, Going on a Bear Hunt. Anybody familiar with the song? Yeah, we love this, love this story, and was thrilled when my, when my daughter picked it up and was going to have it on their shelf. So if you remember it, it's going on a bear hunt, going to catch a big one, right? There are sections in the book where they go, can't go around it, can't go through, you got, can't go over it, got to go through it. You see, storms are supposed to be faced. When we dodge a storm, we dodge the potential of being intimate with God and losing the, the presence of God. So just as the book advocates, we're not going on a bear hunt. But in the presence of a storm, we need to go through it with the presence of Jesus. Peace isn't found in the absence of a storm. Peace is found in the presence of a good God, Jesus. Let's pray. Father, in this world of many distractions, many distractions, we can often find ourselves distracted from the source of our strength, the source of our hope, the source of endurance and perseverance, and it's you. So, Father, on behalf of my friends and family members in this room, and myself, forgive us. 
for those moments when we lapse judgment, wise judgment of your, the word of God, to lean in to the storm, into the presence of Jesus, to gain the peace that passes all understanding. So Father, I am not sure all of the storms, in fact, I'm not sure of, the, of many of the storms that my friends are facing in this moment. But Father, we ask for your presence to be near us so that you can be with us and we can be with you. Lord, in this season of the incarnational celebration, the celebration of, Father, our Savior and Lord, your Son, Jesus Christ, as the Messiah, the good news of great joy for all people, may we find a renewed joy, a renewed relationship, a renewed life in you. Lead us, Father, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.